Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's September the 11th, 2023. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco. Last week, I was in Munich for DLD Circular, a show about or a a conference, a forum, attempting to rethink the world economy, capitalism in terms of circularity. It's not entirely clear what that means, but lots of people have different takes. One of the people we had on the show was Ian Goldin, who teaches at Oxford at the business school there, talking about how to make the 21st century city the heart of a new circular economy. Goldin thought, I think, in terms of globalist terms. He seems to be a capitalist, but a, a global capitalist. Uh, meanwhile, um, Sandrine dixon Declair, the co-president of the Club de Rome, was talking about rethinking capitalism entirely, giving different values in terms of the environment. One wonders what will happen to capitalism in this circular economy. We need to tell stories, apparently, about this new world that we're approaching, a new world of environmental catastrophe. Martin Puchner, who was on the show, who teaches at Harvard University, uh, talked to me about the need to tell stories. But of course, not everyone tells the same story about this new world, this world of environmental crisis. My guest today on the show has a very different take and a very different story. Ken Costa is a very successful banker uh, with some very strong views on the future uh, of the world when it comes to uh, the story of circularity and environmental crisis. His new book, The $100 trillion Wealth Transfer, How the handover from boomers to Gen Z will revolutionize capitalism uh, is out in a couple of weeks. And Ken is joining us from Holland Park in West London. Ken, congratulations on the new book. Thank you. Um, Thank you. What do you make of this term circularity? Is it something that's become a little fashionable? Do you understand what it means? Well, I'm grappling uh, with it. I, I mean, I know Ian Golden. Uh, and I'm sure that there is a very good, strong base for it. Um, it, it is a different meaning to, to most people, uh, but it does mean that there is a wider uh, return that one would get from being more inclusive in the environment, in the way in which capitalism addresses the major issues that we are facing. Your book has a strong controversial thesis. You suggest that the the Gen Zers will revolutionize, perhaps even trash capitalism, because they don't understand the market and they're going to hand over this $100 trillion wealth transfer that they will inherit from boomers uh, because of their commitment to environmental reform. Uh, but before we address that issue, I wonder what your take personally is on the environmental crisis. How real is it for you? Well, I mean, I take it, I take it seriously, um, and uh, I think that uh, not only do, do I take it uh, seriously, but I think the way in which it is impacting uh, all of our economies uh, and the requirements for fund managers to be taking, uh, making their investment decisions based upon uh, you know, environmental concerns, concerns for the planet, 
it is moved up the agenda. And I think one has to take the, the benefit of the doubt if one did have a doubt, and, and I don't, and I myself don't, uh, to, these, to the science lobby uh, and to the scientists who have shown us that really there are serious dangers to the planet if we don't, as you know, we, we saw the gathering of the G20 uh, in, um, in India this week, trying to make, make commitments to, to ensure that the economies of the world are themselves cognizant of any damage that might be done to the environment and that they find a way in which capital can flow to, to help those that are unable of their own accord uh, to make sure that the, uh, that the environment that they're operating in is preserved for future generations. And this, of course, is the tension. It is the intergenerational tension that we have to deal with. I have to admit that I'm not convinced I'm, I'm 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 intrigued by your thesis but i'm not convinced of an intergenerational tension do you have kids yourself i do yeah is there I've tension got... there ken are they telling you that you're an old fuddy-duddy you don't get it well i think this is the this is the the whole issue that i think we're, we're dealing with is that there are the stereotypes that are you know i'm a i'm thought to be perhaps a fuddy-duddy maybe not maybe a nice one but generationally, that we are ones that are not addressing the issues that they think are as important or more important than we think they would be. So the priorities uh, are, are, are different. And I, I think we have, uh, many of my generation will have a view that, you know, here is an, you know, an avocado-eating grouping of, 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 of young, entitled um, zennials. I call them zennials because they're Gen Z and... Um, the millennial grouping coming together who do not understand the nature of wealth creation, incentives, the way in which, you know, the basis of the, of the market economy. And I think that these are caricatures that we really, which is what I address in the book, the caricatures that are driving us into silos and into thinking separately, uh, which will, I think, damage the, 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 the future of the market economy. Ken, before we get to the, these, the generational transfer, the, the, sure. the generational cultural differences, um, this $100 trillion wealth transfer, the boomers have acquired enormous assets. Is it mostly through real estate or pension funds? Where do you get to this $100 trillion number? Well, the $100 trillion, um, let's give you a, a simple, the U.S. is, is estimated to be about at the level of about 84, 85 trillion alone. It's a number of factors. Firstly, it has been the, the you know, the, the low interest rate uh, asset inflation that we have seen over the last decades that has enabled the generation to build up real estate, to build up um, assets in terms of stocks and shares. Uh, and, and it has carried on. And that's why it is never before have we seen such an enormous amount moving from one generation to another. In previous generations, people die, of course, and hand over to the next generation. Even in the 19th century, there yeah, are lots of comparisons but, between today's quote-unquote aristocracy and 19th century or early 20th century aristocracies, the, the Gilded Age aristocracies. Yes. I mean, they, 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 they handed over, but by and large, it was real estate. By and large, it was entailed into succession 
of of generations. It, this country and in Europe, they were sort of primogeniture that ensured that you didn't have the real estates being broken broken up. Uh, but also, but what is what is so critically important is that this new generation has got several extraordinary advantages uh, that it never had before. The, the new the, generation, the, 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 the boomers rather than the, the Gen Z. No, no, the Zoomers, as I would call them. Okay, the, well, the Zoomers, the, the, Zen, the Boomers. But, the, the millennials so, but, but the just D. to come back to one thing, it's important sure. to note, Ken, that, that this $100 trillion number, whether that's you know, approximately amongst the boomers, it's still only a small part of the boomers. This is a, uh, an aristocracy within boomers. It's not everybody, is it? No, look, I mean, you're absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely right. I mean, you know, it is, it is a class of people that have, that have been earning, um, you know, in, in terms of accumulating real estate, accumulating real assets. But even... Uh, but but the interesting thing is, even if you leave aside the very top, even in those where people have been earning not a great deal of money, there is still the inflation that has occurred in houses, for example, whereby families are being able to uh, either downsize or move money into the hands of the next generation by helping them buying their 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 their, their homes or helping them out on their on the rent. But, but the point about it is, is that, that there is an, a major difference between this generation, the Zennials, as I call them, and any previous generation, for one very good and important reason, and that is that technology has changed dramatically. Uh, and therefore, they become more enabled uh, in, in, in technology, capable of, of holding very strong views in social media, strongly influential and then we'll have the financial assets to be able to affect an agenda that they regard as being important and which we, as the boomer generation, need to help in, in the understanding of how that capital is going to be deployed uh, for, uh, for the benefit so, of... So, Ken, let's, let's get this straight in terms of your thesis. So, You're not necessarily critical of... The, the Zoomer desire to change the world, to, to, to save not. the world. So for you, Absolutely. the thesis that a lot of this wealth transfer should be reinvested in clean tech or technology or businesses that can save the planet, for you, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Your critique of the Zoomers is that they don't get the market. Is that fair? I think uh, I, what I, my, my critique of, well, I've got two critiques. Of the boomers, it is not understanding, treating seriously enough and engaging actively enough with a, a, an emerging generation's agenda for, um, for change. Uh, and particularly it's related to the environment, but also to issues relating to justice, race, equality. From the boomers' uh, side of it, uh, that is where, where, where the criticism comes from. The from the from as I may call it the, the the Zuma side would would look at this and say, look, you've had in your generation the fair share of the of, of the value in the world, and now it is time where we need to see what is going to be done with that capital to benefit all all of mankind. My argument is that you that if you if we keep people in silos, 
we are not going to achieve the objective. What is needed, and the way I put it is this, the hindsight of my generation. Uh, we've seen it before. Uh, we've, we've been through inflationary movements. We've been through depressions. We've been through recessions. And the insight of the next generation who see things very differently, which we need to be respectful for. And together, that creates the foresight uh, for the, uh, the future uh, of the market economy, which I call co, i.e. working together, uh, which is cooperating, co-working, co-living, co-destiny. All these things require... It's like both... as if you, all, you want us all to live in a big WeWorks, Ken, do you? No, not in a big WeWorks, but an understanding that, 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 that the contribution that can be made by one generation towards the other is a two-way street. Some of it is going to be uh, in the new challenges, whether it's a, a WeWork and whether it's a, a sharing, and other of it is going to be a stringent activity from, the, from my generation of pointing out that unless you have an incentive-based system, you cannot have achieve the objectives that the, that the Xenial generation might want to achieve. So we have to preserve the basis of creating value living on uh, giving good incentives uh, and the importance of incentives, particularly at a time when when we regard ownership as being critically important and a new generation grows up saying ownership is not um, as central to their lives uh, as they would be prepared to share things, whether it's Airbnb or, or being prepared to rent rather than to own. We are talking with Ken Costa, a very distinguished financial man, a man who ran some large banks and now has a thesis of his own, the $100 trillion uh, transfer. He believes that we're, we're in danger. We boomers are in danger of handing over all our money to Gen Zs who will, Zoomers he calls them, who will maybe not just revolutionize capitalism, but actually ruin it. We're going to take a short break. I want to remind everyone I'm a boomer, so I I understand capitalism, at least according to Ken. Uh, this show is sponsored by Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. They pay for us to broadcast this thing. So we're going to run a short ad and then we'll be back with Ken Costa, the author of a hundred trillion dollar wealth transfer. Don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can learn more about Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are talking with the great Ken Costa, the author of $100 trillion wealth transfer, who's talking about a new accord, if you like, between Boomer, the Boomer generation, and the Gen Zers or Zoomers. Uh, Ken, you talked about these two generations being able to talk to one another. Is this a conversation that should be taking place on kitchen tables or maybe dining room tables and media? Where, where is the conversation supposed to happen? Well, Andrew, that's a, that's a great question. And I like the word that you used, accord, because I think this is pervasive 
it is going to be uh, the basic discussions at the dining room tables um, and the discussions between uh, in within families. But it's also a discussion that's going to happen in the boardrooms of practically all our major corporations. You know, by the in, in another 10 years time, the Xennials will be um, the majority of uh, the major executives uh, in, in our corporations. And when that happens, we have to find ways in which we are able to learn from each other. That's the basis of co, that that which I am uh, gaining is far bigger than that which I'm giving up. Uh, and, and working together is the only way in which we can have one generation um, not sort of upending the previous generation with some very serious consequences. There are already moves out there to say we should be taxed far more uh, in order to accomplish a social um, changes. You're against tax, then? Um, no, not at all. But what I'm talking about is that we we need to balance that with with a, a driving uh, centrality of of incentives uh, of value creation. And what I talk about is a socially energized um, capitalism, by which I mean that there is an energy that is captured by a younger generation, obviously with its uh, tech empowered uh, new skills. And the wisdom of an older generation that gives us, you know, something not just purely gaining for, there for profit, but also for people that 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 are involved in the creation of of the, of the profit. What, so, what do you make of the arguments of people like Piketty in France and Tim Jackson in the UK that fixing the environment and addressing social inequality, economic inequality, isn't compatible with capitalism? Well, I, I don't. I don't accept that. I mean, I think that there is a. Firstly, there's a gradualist move. Uh, you can't just achieve it overnight. Let me give you just the examples that that I use in the book. There are four major trans transitions going on at the moment. The move from from west to east, and that again is being fueled by very young people in India and Indonesia. The move from brown to green. Um, it's not just a lever that can be pulled. We're seeing this now in practically all the, the, the leadership conferences that you can't just pull a lever which was brown and now it turns green, much as Greta Thunberg and, and a Xenial group of people might want you to do that. It's a gradualist program. And then we're seeing the feminization of finance, which is a very important factor that we will see much more of as this transfer takes place and women become more important and more valuable in the, uh, in, in the market economy. And then, of course, there is the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next, which has a very clear agenda as to how this should be spent. But it, it doesn't happen immediately. And it is not true to say that socialism is going to be the answer uh, to, uh, to, to solving the big issues of, of well, climate change and, and, and environment and, and, of course, equality that Piketty was, was arguing about. A robust, revised, socially energized capitalism is what's needed. And that's where code comes in, where we're working together. That's a bit flabby, you know, though, Ken. Can this really work? I mean, you're critical in some ways of the ESG movement. The business schools all teach this. And yet, for all the teaching, all the claims of making the world a better place, we get more and more inequality. Well, but the, well, the, well but part of the reason for for that is that we need to be far more active in in building up an incentive base 
for um, for a wider group of people. Now, technology is changing. Uh, young startups are changing. Uh, you look at Africa. I, I chair one of the largest uh, financial uh, services businesses, which are private equity businesses in Africa. And we are seeing uh, an extraordinary change in which a, a younger generation is itself becoming more empowered and more financially capable of, uh, of, of earning and investing because of the change in technology. So there they are wanting, where they see the incentives of being able to, to, do, to operate in those countries more effectively without heavy commitments uh, as a previous generation might have had to have uh, in terms of, you know, but, the but that's all very well in Africa. And we've been hearing about that for generations. But in so, Silicon Valley, where I am, yes. we have a winner take all economy. We have a tiny group of trillion dollar companies who yes. dominate the market and increasingly dominated in this new world of AI. They're the only ones who can really afford the research and uh, the platforms and the technologies to drive this thing forward. So if we rely on technology, aren't we going to get more inequality? Well, I mean, I think if we, if, if we, if we don't see it spreading again, if we don't see the way in which uh, the, the boomer generation can actually help the, the, uh, the, the new startups, because don't forget, they didn't start as unicorns. There are young startups that need wisdom, they need help, they need capital. And the more that that is spread through people coming out of schools and universities, whatever, even with whatever AI and quantum changing the world in which we expect it to do that, there will be a wider spread and it will be uh, um, wider. And I believe it will create greater value and greater and reduce inequality rather than increase it. What about the, the political wrapping to this in America? We have a, a gerontocracy, very, very old president who's even older in theory than I think he is in practice, a doddering old man. We have another doddering old man running against him. We have old women in the Democratic Party who won't resign. When are we going to get a, a political wrapper to this uh, conversation or record that you're talking about? Uh, isn't that the real... Isn't that the only way this thing is going to get fixed um, and addressed? And that's the problem is that certainly in the West, political parties don't seem to be able to change fast enough to address the issues that, that you write about in your book. Well, I think that's a, that, that is precisely um, uh, an accurate description and of Europe as well, not just of, uh, uh, of the U.S., what I'm really encouraged by is that there is another generation coming into place, um, pr pretty disillusioned by institutions, by politics, uh, by, the, uh, you know, learned bad lessons during the great financial crisis, lost trust in the, in the financial systems, all of which would need to be rebuilt. But as they come in to, uh, to uh, the new positions of authority and power, I think we're going to see them reflecting the, the generational change and the generational agenda. Um, that, I think, is going to be a, a generational move. Why are you encouraged by that? If people have lost trust in institutions, uh, are there examples of political movements, the Greens, for example, in Europe, able to address this in a, in a coherent institutional sense? No, because I think that what has happened is that the major political parties haven't yet come to deal with the fact 
that they have to treat seriously in the major political parties, not just the fringe, uh, you know, the Greens, and you can hive off uh, an agenda to, uh, to a political group on the side, but actually to be able to grapple with the difficult issues in the mainstream of politics. And that really will require a generational change, by which I mean an age generational change, because at the moment they're still erotic. The, but it's not it, 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 in America. It's very frustrating. It, it, that's obvious, but it's not coming about. These old people won't resign. They won't leave well, the stage. I, uh, whether I it's get... Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden or Donald Trump, they, they simply won't hand over political power to younger people. Well, I think that that is, you know, that in the US, I mean, it, it is a disaster for the rest of the world. I quite agree with that. And therefore, I'm afraid we have to go through a change that it will be taking place. But that next generation will, I think, be well attuned um, to this new aspirational class. Of, 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 I hope of you're the... right, Ken. What history lessons should we? You're, you're a man well versed in history. Two periods in history come to mind in terms of warnings. The first is 19th century Russia, and the second is the 1960s, uh, where we had almost civil war, it seemed, between the generations. Of course, in Russia, an aristocracy destroyed the, the old Russia and created Bolshevism. Are there moments in history which should be either warnings for us in this generational transfer uh, or models for handing over power and wealth? Well, and you put your you put your finger on a, a serious issue of regarding social dislocation. If we do not manage to ha effectively have co at the centre of our next move in in capitalism, the number of people that will be excluded from the uh, market economy is going to create a restlessness uh, that is going to be very difficult. To manage now, I'm not talking about necessarily a civil war, but if you see read Ray Dalio talking about a statistical probability of a civil war in the U.S. of around thirty percent, I don't think he means, though I hope not, people taking up arms against each other, but using other weapons to make the points known. So, for example, you know, cryptocurrency. Um, whatever the last crises were, it was driven by a next generation. It was driven by a distrust of the fiat currencies that they have inherited. And if that continues uh, unchecked, we are going to see a dislocation. It could be financial dislocation. It could be, uh, you know, sort of shareholder meetings of major companies being dislocated uh, because of the... So, what, so, so you're dodging the question here. What are the models we should be using yesterday in, in terms of inspirations from history. Yesterday, we had the historian Diana Henriques on the show, who's yeah. written a book about the New Deal in the 1930s and the way in which FDR took on the interests of a gilded capitalism to create the New Deal. Should we be inspired by men like FDR who created new political realities to address the inequalities and crisis of his own age? Well, I think we're going to have to find, I don't know that there is an exact model. And the reason for that is that we have, uh, you know, a, a, because of the, the, the way in which technology is particularly empowering a next generation, you have a significant change in the way in which reality is perceived, as, as it were. But what it does require is that where there is a concentration of, of, of economic power that is destructive 
of creating new opportunities or, or, or antitrust for all the reasons that we have known, and in, including the ones in the FDR uh, era where the legislation was brought about to try and ensure that, they were, that we did not have the, the coming together of such powerful or lobbies that destroyed underneath them the growth of the next generation. That we have to solve for ourselves here. Capitalism cannot simply rest on its laurels by leaving the uh, one group of people to continue to, to get a greater share of the pie when a, a zenial group of people worldwide cannot own their houses. And even if you're living in London, can hardly pay for the rent on the houses. And so that is, I don't know that there is a precise model that I could look to. Um, what I can say, which worries me, is to look at Argentina at the turn of the, of the 19th century, when it was a dominant exporter power. Sixth, that she'd sixth had. most powerful economy in the world. Now it's... And what happened... I don't think was, it's even 106 now. No, and the reason, in my view, for that is the failure over a century uh, of people to come to terms with the realities of their own um, demise and populist leaders were constantly being able to promise more and more um, that they could not deliver. And this is going to happen again. Now, the question there is, you know, if an entitled group of people think they can continue to live like that, will Europe be the one that should take the real lesson from Argentina? That, I think, is the worrying piece. But again, I've got real faith in the next generation, in the, the, uh, the Zoomers being able to create a, a new vibrant socially energized, and I operate the word energized, is the operative word, capitalism. You, as I said, you, you understand capitalism very well, Ken. Uh, you, uh, you rose to be chair of Lazard International. You were the UK's prime minister's special representative to Saudi Arabia between 2017 and 2022. So, so you know the world of capital, but you're also... Uh, a man who's written extensively about your own faith. You've written a number of books about faith and religion. Um, and when you go to your website, lots of stuff about strengthening faith in the world for the world. I'm guessing you believe religion should play a role in, in this new accord between generations. What, what about for disbelievers, people who don't believe in the idea of God? Well, I, I think that's absolutely, I, I do believe that. Um, and I like to say that I operate at the intersection of spirituality and spreadsheets, um, that I think that there is a growing number of people worldwide, particularly in the younger generation, a growing number uh, who are actually um, spiritually curious. They are looking to find some, some non-material expression of life, wanting to live life to its full. And I believe, sadly, that the major churches have failed to be able to engage that generation, but that there are several new ways. I chair a Christian meditation app called Glorify, which is wanting to address this particular issue for a new generation. Now, you don't have to be a, be a, a, be a believer to be wanting to live by a set of values that are non-material. And I think that's so encouraging of this next generation that they are prepared to share um, the generous uh, and prepared to share not only their, their time, 
we saw that during COVID, the way in which the generation really stepped up to delivering medicines, to helping older people. Um, there is a strong sort of good uh, altruistic streak there, which when drawn in to the capitalist system is going to provide, in my view, a, a new kind of energy uh, that the, the generation will bring. So, yes, I do think there's space for faith uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the world. Yeah, I'm not sure everyone will be convinced by these generalizations no. about, general, about generations. But uh, finally, Ken, what about your own Christianity? What, what does that bring in terms of the environmental crisis? Lots of Christians, both on the right and the left, seem particularly concerned about our destruction of the planet. For you personally, what does it mean? Uh, you talk about being at the intersection of spirituality and spreadsheets. But what about this intersection of the environment and spirituality? What does it mean for you as a Christian to see so many species destroyed, cities lost in smog, uh, and the global warming that's resulted in this summer being the hottest on record? Well, I think for me, the basic uh, teaching is that we are stewards uh, of the world. We want to leave that which we've been given in one generation uh, enhanced for the next. And that, I think, is an important part of, of, of my, my own life, um, and, but also of my own philosophy, that, that what we are handing on, um, particularly as stewards of, the, of, of our environment, uh, and therefore we have to be particularly conscious of those things that are destroying uh, the, 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 the planet that we know, and therefore we'll have to be tougher with those countries in the world where the, um, the emissions are going to be so much stronger, whether it's India or whether it's China or, in, or Indonesia or wherever it might be. Or Saudi Arabia. Well, Saudi Arabia is slightly different in that Aramco is actually, of all the majors, one of the, one of the most, if not the most, advanced on the curve of going from brown to green. Interesting. And final, final question, Ken. Um, lots of research suggests that the generation, the Zoomers, are much less passionate, committed to the idea of democracy. Lots of talk about a new model and enlightened despotism in Saudi Arabia or Singapore. Should, should the, the Zoomers care about democracy or can we fix the planet and address all these issues without democracy? I think we've got to give, we've got to be able to hand over to that next generation, the vital importance of democracy, uh, of the preservation of freedom. I grew up in South Africa, in apartheid South Africa. I saw what the destruction of freedom actually meant to the daily lives of people. And I want to be absolutely sure that we are working to, to encourage that next generation that democracy, for all its faults, uh, needs engagement by them uh, and the growing sense that they can participate and participate effectively to bring about the changes uh, that we would all want to see happening. And that's the hope uh, that the trillion dollar transfer uh, will bring about.